Welcome back, Rebels. Welcome to our special Christmas edition. Um, we have decided to sing as well. You guys asked for it. Um, this was not yeah, our idea. These guys this have was your idea. asked for it so many times over the past like two years. They've constantly wanted an episode where we've interviewed each other. So, here so we yeah, go. this is the first of two. This is David on Adam this week. Um, I'm going to be interviewing Adam and asking him lots of uh, questions. And it, yeah, it would be interesting. See where it goes. I mean, yeah. Um, We've known each other for over 10 years now. Yeah, and, which is uh, mental. Yeah, it's crazy. And uh, yeah, run businesses together and all sorts of things. So let's uh, let's see where this goes. So my first question to you, Adam Brazier, yeah. is I want you to rate 2020, your 2020 out of 10. I think rating 2020 out of 10 is, there's definitely two complete different sides to it for me. There's like the two out of 10 side, which is the everything that I liked up until 2020 I haven't been able to do so that's generally been like really hard and it's been crap for that reason I've not kind of got to travel we've not got to go to like the nice food places we've not got to explore new towns and cities that we haven't been to before and being locked up is definitely been kind of not great on that side but then on the other side I would probably rate it a nine or a ten for just for the fact that it's been the most creative year of my life it's been a time for me to actually just kind of do what I want to do and just try stuff and experiment. And if I've got some free time, I'm just going to do this. And it's, it's like been a really, really interesting year for that. So what was it? Like, what does that look like? How have you, so on the day where you were like, okay, no, no longer can I do the stuff I love. I can't go for walks really. Well, well, like I can't travel. I can't go um, exploring London. I've just got to kind of stay within this small area. I can't visit food places, all the stuff that you love to do what was your kind of decision process right at the beginning? How were you like, okay, this is how I'm going to deal with this? Well, I think at the start, it was very much like a, well, how can we do exactly the same as we were doing before as best as we can with what we have available? And that kind of came down to doing a lot of research about how we can actually take this online, how we can make it so we can actually talk to each other without having to see each other and how we can interview guests. And I think so much of it was just, that, especially those first few weeks, I think, were heavy research and working out exactly how we can make this as good as possible. And I think especially with like the world arena today is amazing. There's anything you ever have that you're like, hmm, I'm not sure how to do that. There's a good chance that someone's had that exact same thought before. And there's a good chance that someone's written about that and put on the Internet. And I think that's what's been kind of great about this whole thing is it's just been such like I love to learn and love to find out new things and try new things. And this year kind of almost forced me into the fact that I wouldn't have gone and learned all this stuff. But now I've got a position where I have to learn all this stuff for us to keep doing what we're doing. And yeah, I think that kind of initially looked like working out what equipment to buy, how to and how to explain it to you over iMessage or something, trying to explain to you how to get stuff set up, creating diagrams of like, well, this is how you need to set up a camera. Because I think that's been really interesting as well, like the way that normally I would just set up everything and then now I've got to rely on you to be able to set up half of it every single time we ever do anything. Are you saying I'm not very tech savvy? Uh, I would 100% say you're not very tech savvy but I don't know if that's just for the fact that you're not very tech savvy or the fact you've got not much willingness to learn how to be tech savvy. Mm. So it's one of those kind of interviews where we're calling each other out. I mean, you're, yeah, I mean, you're totally right. I mean, the reason that I'm not tech savvy is because you've always done it for me. Yeah, 100%. It's been like that for 
10 years now, I suppose. And stuff like that always has kind of its ups and downs because I think when we first started our business, we all started to find our roles within the business and what we were doing and what we were good at and what we weren't good at. And I think that's why it went really well for the fact that you basically said anything tech, just I'm not just going to deal with it because it's not, it, it almost seems like a waste of your time to be going to do something like that if you can just get someone who is an expert at it to do it. And I think that applies to so much of business in general. What it's worth doing is almost work, working out like how much time it's going to take you to learn this new thing. If it's going to take six months, or you could just lean to the person next to you and say, or get an expert in to do this and say, could you just do this? It's almost like that time time to cost ratio of like, Ugh, what can I afford? What can I do? And I think it I'm- is, but then I think when you stretch that out over a long enough timeline, then if I, when we met 10 years ago, if you just said, right, here's the basics of Photoshop and I'd actually practiced and become proficient in a number of things of all the tech things that, you, that you've dealt with over the years, then... 10 like then you you take away all of those five minute periods and maybe I would have had to have had a couple of months where I was asking you lots of questions but because I was just really lazy and was just like okay I I don't need to (laughs) I don't need to give that brain space to this because because that's what I like I'm terrible for that I I definitely like if there's something that I can not have to think about then I will not think about it and it's like what my brain does as well which is so weird I, I don't know if anyone listening can relate to this because otherwise I'm just a freak. But what I will do is it say I've got something in my head. It's like, oh, I need to tell Yana this figure. So I will say it's £554. That's the figure. And then once my brain knows that I've told her that figure, it then discards that information. And I and if she was like, what was that figure you gave me? I'd be like, I don't know. I told you. And then I got rid of it. Like now it's in the trash. I don't I can't re I can't recycle it. I can't bring it out back out the trash. So what I do is like I and it's pure laziness. It's like, I, I don't need to think about that because I know someone else will deal with it for me. And and so I, I guess it is something that I, I should work on. And I'm in the long term, had I just faced those demons early on, then you would have done a lot less work because what it makes me think about is I've noticed it within other people. So there's members of staff who will ask Yona every single question because Yona is like the, the oracle yeah. of the business who knows everything. And they will just ask her the question instead of taking a couple of seconds to think of it themselves. And when I started noticing that in other people, I was like, oh, that's exactly what I do because it's easier to not have to think about it. It's easier to just go to someone else and say, oh, can you sort this out for me? And that was why 2019, you were starting to get quite unhappy in the business because everyone saw you as tech support and you yeah. kind of started to become to this role of like, if there's a problem, it's like, oh, don't let me try and work this out. Like, I won't watch a YouTube video. I won't call the bloody company that we've literally pay a retainer to every month <laughs> yeah. to be tech support. Everyone was like, oh, I'll just ask Adam. What was really interesting there is the fact that even prior to 2019, at the start of 2017, like we went traveling for six months and tech support wasn't there. And people didn't like, they called me for a couple of things that they just couldn't do. But most of the time it got sorted out. And I think, yeah, most people have the ability to do things more. I think people have the ability to do more than they think they can do. And I think it's only when you're in a situation where you're like, oh, shit, I actually need to work this out that you actually then go and find it. So much of that comes down to curiosity. And that's one thing that I think I've always been really strong at is the fact that I've always been really curious. And if there's something that I don't know how to do, I'll always go and find out how to do it and like try and learn how to do that new thing. It's something that 
is definitely worth practicing because I th- feel like it's something that you can grow over time. And the more you kind of get into that mindset of there's a problem here, how am I going to solve it? And then you don't rely on anyone else to solve that problem. You just go and do it yourself. Then next time there's a problem, it gets quicker and quicker. And I feel like that's why I compare creativity to problem solving so much, because I feel like it's that little curiousness that makes it so you can kind of connect those dots really quickly, learn really quickly, and then move on to the next thing. Because I think what is really hard to do, especially if you're starting a business, you're doing anything creative, or you're doing anything that involves other people, then other people are generally the barrier to stop things happening. Like if you need, like for example, if you need something gridded up for a wall, like now you've got your own way to do that. But for the past nine years, you've sent me a picture. So can you add a grid onto this reference so I can scale it up? And I've said, yeah, sure. And then I've had to do it and then send it back to you. So you can't start until I've actually created you the grid. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you'd have just gone and learned how to do a grid nine years ago, that's all you would have ever really needed me for. By the time you'd have done that, then you're like, okay, well, now I need to do a grid, but it's got these crosses going in a different direction. How can I do that? And you might not have to have asked me to do it. You could have just rotated it and it would have kind of go from there. But yeah, I think that curiosity is really important for just developing your your needs to keep learning and to keep growing and kind of not relying on other people so much. Yeah, and I suppose that's been a huge learning for me is that all of a sudden none of our staff were working for us and I still wanted to carry on making paintings and anyone that I would have relied on in the past was was no longer there. And I and, I, and like I could have kept on bothering you with it, but I just made the decision sort of early on that I didn't want to do that. I wanted to actually work out myself for once. So I, I yeah, I made the decision to not do. So now, yeah, I, everything is. So finally I have evolved and started to, to learn a little bit of technology. So that's a that's a step forward for me, for sure. You mentioned about about stepping away from the business and it not it not for not going to shit. And I think that's that's one thing that so many business owners struggle with, especially if they do have staff, is is relinquishing that um that responsibility. And really when we first started, I, I used to look through people's emails and change their emails because that's not how I'd write it. And very quickly sort of learned to to let go and that each person is just an individual and they're going to go about things completely a different way to you. Yeah. But as long as you are all driving towards the same goal, then hopefully not too much should go wrong. And really, I don't know whether it might have been four hour work week, but there was a, a book that we both read where it was talking about how you give like 90% of the decisions to your staff and you only deal with the top 10%. And yeah. That's, and we sort of implemented that and, and that was so much easier because then you're relinquishing so much of your business to to your staff and trusting them. Having staff is definitely like a, it's a big learning curve because you suddenly get people that you're really responsible for and they're never going to do it the way that you would do it. And they're never going to do it as way as, maybe as well as you think you could do it as well, because it's like you're used to doing it a certain way and they might do it a way that is actually equally as good or better but to you because it's not the way that you've done previously it seems like it's not as good or people just aren't as trained up in that yet it is really hard when you first start employing people because you kind of just have to put faith in people and especially because when we first started we didn't have much money so I think that's another thing that small businesses struggle with is the fact you can't go and hire the best talent who are all experts at something like most of the people we've employed for our business are like relatively young because we can't afford to or we couldn't afford to employ anyone who was who wasn't just out of uni or just out of their first or second job 
So I think yeah, amazing, amazingly talented, but just not with the with the field of experience, not with the years yeah. under their belt of having worked in a role for a long time. Experience only comes by giving people trust, and that's where their confidence comes from: is giving someone something and saying like, "Go and do this," and then it going well, and you congratulating them for that. Not being like, if you just destroy them and be like, "This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong." If it's not in a way that kind of seems like you're helping then that will just knock their confidence. And I feel like so much of what experience is in someone's career is just that confidence that grows over time. Because I feel like if you've been in a job or in an industry for 20 years, your confidence around what is likely to happen in that industry and what a response to any problem could be is going to come back down to like this level of experience, this level of confidence that you've built over that period of time. Yeah, you just have muscle memory. You're just like... This is this is the solution. Yeah, yeah. You can go to action. And you can get things done so much quicker. Um, so now that we've um, we've picked me apart a, a little bit, let's um, let's <laughs> pick me apart some more. Um, what annoys you about me? See, I feel like we've got to keep this below three hours, so I'll try and keep this short. Is it really? Is it really <laughs> that much stuff? Um, so David sent me the questions for this previous to as recording, and this was the only one that like actually kept me up at night thinking about what my answer to it would be because there's probably loads of little different things and I was trying to think of something that's actually like well what's a good answer that would actually be useful to the audience and isn't kind of just like completely just like trying to destroy you for a certain thing but I I think what I came up came up with was my what annoys me the most about you is your stubbornness and I feel like this is definitely it works to your advantage and it works to weakness. I think like it's it's what makes you so strong in certain areas. Like the balance doesn't kind of weigh up yeah. sometimes in the other areas. So um, one thing I was thinking of is for the fact that when we went to New York, you said, because like we because my brother lives in New York and I was like, oh, we can stay with him. It'll be free. And you're like, okay, but we have to be in bed by 9 p.m. because that's my bedtime or whatever 10 time, yeah. 10 yeah. p.m. Yeah. And I was like, but like they won't be in bed by then they'll be bed at like midnight or something and i was like and also we're changing time zones so the 10 p.m that you've fictionally set yourself in the uk doesn't make any difference over there because it's yeah. like so far away from that so actually you could set your new 10 p.m as being 12 p.m like everyone else in the house and you're like no i'm gonna go and stay somewhere else then and it was just like that ability to like be so stuck to your guns of this is exactly what i'm gonna do even if it means it's going to cost me money to go and stay somewhere else is just like so frustrating. But like, I can see how that massively benefits your personality in other ways. Yeah. I know what I need. I know that I need like my eight hours of sleep. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I stayed somewhere else, but, um, that did make things difficult because I was traveling into the city every day, whereas you were already smack bang in the middle of the city, but, but I got my sleep and I was, I, I was happier having that journey in, in the mornings, then I would have been waking up groggy because I'd been up late because of you party animals. <laughs> we were definitely not party animals because those guys were just working and I basically just sat, out, watched a bit of telly and then went to bed at whatever time they got yeah. in. Um, no, I, I, but, I get it. I get it. Um, no, yeah, I suppose I am. I am stubborn. It's a stubbornness and it's, a, it's stubborn and not being flexible it's almost like there's a lack of empathy for the people around you. It's almost like this is the thing wow. that I want to happen, but the people around me kind of like they're not as important as as I am. I think yeah. that's kind of what it comes down to. 
So that reminds me of when, um, do you remember when, like we, uh, how many times have we fallen out? I think over the course of, of knowing each other, maybe three times or twice. I can't ever really remember falling out. So, so please remind me. We've, we've fallen out a couple of times. I'll tell you one of them. One of them was, do you remember the house party? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, well we painted that old house. So the client was going to be moving out of this house and called us in to like completely paint all of the walls because um, they were going to have this one last final party until and and, and then uh, I think the house was getting completely redecorated. So yeah, completely- it was. I think what they'd done is they'd bought four flats of this beautiful like townhouse in Holland Park. So like from the outside, the street was beautiful, the house was beautiful, and they'd bought. They might somehow managed to buy each of the four flats that individual people lived in, decided to strip the whole thing out and turn it into one massive like super house, uh, which was the house it was originally before it got turned into flats. But yeah, wanted us to completely vandalise the full inside of it for this yeah. big final party. Which was super fun, cool job, whatever, whatever. And then the night of the party, um, I think you'd been painting all day and you were absolutely exhausted. And I was like, I right, so I'm in Coulsdon, the house party is in Holland Park. and um you were like i can't go i'm too tired i'm not i'm not and i was like this video won't make any sense unless we have this like house party scene at the end and we see all of our paintings lit up at night and people dancing in front of our paintings and whatever i was like that's that's what we need to make this like our amazing video and and you were like i'm not going i'm too tired so i walked down to causton south station which is a mile from my house i and i was on the phone to you and you and i was like right well i'm going then Fine, I, I'm going to trek all the way across London because you live quite close to it at the time. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and you never knew this, but because eventually you were like, fine, I'll go because you're being such a dick about it. Um, I actually got to the station and realised I'd left my wallet at home. So I wouldn't even have been able to get on the train. Oh, but you, God. So you did actually go. And I'm so glad that you did because otherwise I would have, if because I am that stubborn, I would have been like, okay, I'm going. I'm going to get the footage because I had, do you remember we had that flip camera? We had yeah, this little, yeah. so this is 10 years ago. No, Technology we didn't. has changed was, a lot. We'd evolved since then. So that was, uh, we'd bought that little um, Handycam thing that was like yeah, HD. Yeah, you had the Handycam, I had oh. the flip camera. So I had the flip camera, which is like this company that I don't think exists anymore. It was like a little like USB, like one of the very first USB video cameras. It was kind of like how the iPod came out and transformed the MP3 world. The flip camera kind of came out and, changed the portable camera world to be something like like obviously we've all got camera phones now but it was almost like how you could you could fit in your pocket and it was like this yeah. mind-blowing super technology that recorded in 720p um, and it had that like little but, one inch screen and it was just it was crap when you look back at it but at the time we were like this is amazing so i had that and and i was like okay i'm gonna go and film it on the flip camera so I and and the thing is, I'm so stubborn that I would have walked a mile back to my house to pick up my wallet, and then a mile back. So I would have done a three mile trip just to get on the train to actually go there if you hadn't have agreed to go there. And that was um, that that was one of those uh, times where we where we fell out and had crossroads. <laughs> but you did go at the end. I did, yeah. I think I got I had to get up out of bed because I was just I was literally shattered. And um, like get redressed, um, go down. I remember like arriving at this party, just feeling like I've never arrived at a party that tired. Like literally just like exhausted. I managed to kind of like go around and just get a few like little shots. And people were like, oh, do you want a drink? I was like, no, I'm literally like, like, this is me. Like I would always take a free drink at a party. And um, especially then. Especially then, yeah, because yeah, we had no money. So the no only money. time that we, yeah, the only time that we got free drinks was when we were like yeah. working and managing to blag them. 
hundred percent. And like, yeah, that just shows how tired I was. The fact that I didn't drink anything, got the shots I needed, slunk out, and then yeah, we had a couple of shots for the end of the video. <laughs> but here's but here's where my stubbornness comes in. I still think that I made the right call. I still think that we did need that to be the final shot of the video. We got some good content and I feel like it was worth it rather than because we would otherwise we would have done because I think that's one thing that creatives like really struggle with is like they do all of this work, but then if they don't document it correctly or they don't go and get that final shot, like one of the worst things is photographers or like Honestly, if you're listening, like this is like my number one piece of advice, like more important than anything. When you're working at an event and a photographer says, don't worry, I'll send you my photos, get your own photos because they never bloody bother. And it's like if you do a project and you put all of your work and your effort into it, it's like you need to represent it on the Internet with as much like value as possible. And sometimes that means like getting up at 6am to go and get the shot where where the sun's just rising. Or, do you know what I mean? It's like putting in that tiny little bit of extra effort that just makes everything look more amazing. That's the key to everything. It's uh, putting in that little bit more effort than someone else is willing to. And I think that's the difference between people who succeed and the people who don't succeed are the people who actually think, like, even though it's hard and even though it's horrible, I'm just going to go and get it. I'm going to go and get those extra shots. I'm going to get up extra early. Like every time we go on holiday now, like if I'd gone on holiday years ago, I'd be getting up at like probably 10 or 11 a.m. relaxing. Whereas now if we go away, we'll be up at 6 a.m. if we're in a nice town to be able to go and walk around it before everyone else is up and walking around. Just so you get that different experience and you can get photos that other people aren't going to get because other people are going to have 100 people in that photo. Like I remember being in um, Seville and there's this like big beautiful palace there that like is just absolute tourist center. There's like queues and queues of people trying to get in at the start. And we we booked tickets for like the first slot of the day. And then when it opened, they let our queue in first, which were really fortunate. So like the big tour groups and stuff went in after. And I'd seen this photo online of this like one room in there that I was like, out of everything in there, I want a great photo of that room. So it opened and we sprinted through this building with no map because there wasn't a map anywhere trying to find this room. And I was like, Based on just logic, I would assume it'd be over there and kind of like ran towards this way. And we got into this big, stunning room before, and there's no one else in there. And it was like, this is absolutely amazing. And got some like photos of no people in. It was amazing. Like they were, it was so, so nice to be in there. And then we kind of, okay, then we kind of, okay, we're going to go explore everything else. And we came back to it later and it was rammed. It like, you, you yeah. could never see it like that unless you got, a private tour or you got in there in another way and then there was like another example of where we did it was on the same trip actually but we're in granada there's these more other palaces that again look absolutely stunning and we booked a night that was basically we booked the last tour of the day and we slowly walked through with the tour and then just came back and so we were like there's no one behind us now because we know we're the last tour of the day so Everyone else had kind of gone through. They were kind of like seeing the rooms that they hadn't seen yet. And we went back to the rooms we'd already seen before to be able to get good pictures in there and see them without anyone else in there to experience them like in a really unique way. And I feel like it is just that planning ahead and going that extra mile that you just always get the best results because other people wouldn't be prepared to do that. They wouldn't be prepared to just sit and wait around while loads of people just meander past them like bored for five minutes. I think that's it. People can't be bored anymore. They have to just have always have something 
And I think, yeah, going that extra little mile, whatever it is, like if you ever get to a stage and you're just like, oh, I can't be bothered. Just think like someone else can be bothered. And it all it does is just take that extra little bit of effort to just push past into that next space. And you're going to create something better. You're going to end up in a better space. It's like the amount of times that things happen and you're like, oh, if I'd have left here five minutes earlier, I never would have met this person. Or if I had got out of bed 10 minutes later, I wouldn't have bumped into this person. And I think so much of it is just putting yourself in situations where good things can happen. And if you're lazy about it, then those things just won't happen. And if they do, you'll be very, very lucky. Yeah, I think that's always been the the kind of attitude that we that we brought to the business. And certainly for me, I think it was something that I kind of subconsciously learned through graffiti, like the 10 years prior to starting the business was was always like when I was painting a wall like the goal was always to be seen and to be noticed and so I would do things differently than everyone else was doing it so if if we're going to a wall and and I I remember this specifically one example where we went to this jam and there was like like 10 artists painting and rather than like they all do one piece each I did like 10 mini pieces in between each each piece so it's like the person that you remember at the end of that wall was not the person who wrote once. It's the person that wrote yeah. 10 times. Um, and and that attitude kind of like sprung forward into the business of where we were like, we were looking at everything with like, what's the alternative way of doing this? What's the way where we're going to garner more attention, where we're going to be noticed more, where we can put just that little bit more effort in that's going to benefit us in the long run. And I think on that as well, it's not just the what can do all of that. It's how can we do this with no money, with like very, very limited budget. Mm. And I think quite often, because there's generally like there's a way to do it and that costs a certain amount of money because people have realized, well, people, this is a problem people have. Here's my paid solution for that. But then when you're getting started with anything, you don't have that money. You have to find a cheaper alternative. You have to find another way around. It reminds me of when we first started a business and actually up until like really recently, like I've always built websites kind of from scratch like the first few ones we did were completely html coded there was no like wordpress or anything involved and then found out about wordpress and kind of like learned how to do that and like we could have just paid a web designer to do it but that would have cost a certain amount of money or paid for some kind of subscription service but it's like at this time when there's zero money it's really hard to just give that kind of expense if you know actually there's not a job coming in at the moment or i don't have much on my time is better spent my time has value and I can put that towards developing this skill as well as like building this product or whatever we need. So a website in this case, but like now, like the latest website I've done, I've just paid for Squarespace because I'm like, I I can go and do that, but I know the amount of time it's going to take me to do, or I can just pay a bit of money and then have the shortcut to something that looks good. And I think Mm. there's, it's like when you're first getting started, it's like when we got started anyway, we didn't have anything. It's like we literally had nothing. Like I had thousands of pounds of debt with like my overdraft and we weren't in a financial place that's a sensible place to start a business. So I think we learned a lot and we really hustled at the start. And like, like, and I feel like the word hustle is so overused now, but that we bloody did hustle because there wasn't anything. And it's like, and if we didn't do it, there wouldn't be, we couldn't get paid. We couldn't pay our rent. We couldn't do these things. It, a lot of it does come down to if you don't have the money to do it, then you need to find a unique, creative way to be able to get as much attention as possible with what you have available. Because you could pay a million pounds a month on Google Ads, and you would make loads of jo- you get loads of jobs. But then, if that's not going to happen, it's like how can you do things creatively for free 
that are going to bring in as much attention as possible. My favorite technique to do that these days is to just like help other people because I think by helping other people, you're one growing relationships and two leading to so many potential leads and business opportunities from there. If you start targeting and helping the right people. I think a really good example of that is how we managed to get our, our office furnished for free. We probably had the nicest chairs of any startup company who started with no money. Like I think each chair was probably worth like 1500 to 2000 pounds or something, which is ridiculous. And we got them for free. Yeah. I mean, we got our first office. So we started off in a garage and then we got our first office and we, we were so happy and, and we were very, well, I was very, very cautious and you and Yona were like kind of holding my hand and going, no, don't worry. Because I do believe that at the time we weren't earning enough to pay the rent on the space that we took on, but we were confident that we would find it and we would make it. So we just kind of went for it. And then we're, but we're sitting in that space, like completely empty shell. And we're like, well, we're going to need chairs. We're going to like, we brought some stuff with us. Like we're all using like laptops that we still had left over from uni and stuff like that. But, yeah. but we're like, oh, we've got no chairs. We've got no desk or anything like that. So I, we then just went on the internet, started looking at stuff and realizing how bloody expensive desk chairs were. So we found the best company, um, sent them an email and said, this is what we do. Um, here's what you, like, we know what you do. You do all of these, all of this office stuff. Is there anything we can do for you? And they were like, oh, we're doing a charity auction. Maybe you could paint a chair that we can auction off for uh, World Wildlife Fund. And we were like, yeah, sure. So we exchanged, we got free chairs from them um, in exchange for our artwork. Yeah. And I think that's like, whatever you're starting, whatever you're doing, whatever it is, it's like, you have value. It's like, whatever you're doing, has some form of value to other people. And if you can offer that as in exchange for the thing that they have, especially at the start, if it's something you need, like the actual, like the kind of price you would put on something isn't what it actually costs you to make it because otherwise you wouldn't have a business because there'd be no profit in that. So as soon as you can find someone else who also has the same thing, then as as, so for example, like those, we've got say eight grand's worth of office chairs or whatever it was, the cost of us actually go and paint those things, apart from our time, was probably a hundred pounds. Yeah. yeah. I remember like you had to buy loads of like little model things for your tiger lamp thing that you painted, but um, it was still so cheap. And it's like the actual cost of to produce those chairs, I imagine was probably a bit more than we spent on paint because they were like really nice chairs. But again, it's like, it wouldn't be that much. And I think if you can start doing little swaps with people and building those relationships at the start, just by starting that relationship and working for someone for free and in exchange for something else or whatever it is you want to do, that could be a relationship that could be a part of your life forever. And I think that's what's really important is, and it's also just the mindset of like, well, now I've got this really big company on my portfolio. And it's like, no one ever has to know that we did it in exchange for some chairs. It's like, so now if we ever wanted to work for more furniture brands, we could be like, well, we've worked for this one before and this one. And then you've instantly built social proof. And all we did was paint some chairs in exchange for some chairs. And it was like, but then you've got so much more value from it than just this simple exchange, because you've got anything that goes forward in that interior space, anything that goes forward in any furniture space. Anytime someone wants a product painting, we can say, okay, yeah, we've done it before because we've done it on these chairs. And it's about using, I think that's what we were really good at, especially at the start is like looking at like, what do we have this, these few little things and then making them as good and as useful as possible. 
And when you're getting started, it is so important to make sure that every little thing that you do, you shout about it. You make it seem like it's the best thing and work out how it can be the best thing as well. Even if it just seems like a little deal that you did with someone, like that could mean so much more. And I think it's that mindset change of being like, okay, it's not just this quick deal that's happened here. It's potentially so many more opportunities can come from it. And I think it's just, that's why it's so worth just doing things for free, like helping people. Even now, the amount of photo shoots that I do now completely for free. And it's funny actually, because I talk to, like I get a lot of messages these days from kind of university students who are studying photography, who, who like as part of their course, they need to talk to a photographer or inspired by, like admired to be like. And they're, they and they say to me like, oh, because yeah, like obviously you only you only work for free at the start. And I was like, I do more shoots for free than I do paid ones because it's like the free ones lead to the paid ones. And it's just this flow of like doing the stuff and they're always shocked. And I'm like, it's part of the process. And I think that's because you have a good radar for knowing when you're being exploited. Well, that comes down to probably being exploited loads of times when we first started the business where people were like, oh, here's this great thing that we can possibly, that we can give you. And then it doesn't actually turn out to be what it's supposed to be. And yeah, I think that comes from experience. I think, I think in life, people are going to exploit you and you just need to work out when that's happened and then how not to let that happen again. And I think the worst thing to do is not to be scared of being exploited so you don't even do anything. Because I think the only way you learn not to be exploited is to be exploited and then learn how that feels and what kind of senses you get. Because I feel like a lot of it comes down to a lot of time, just like a gut feeling of like, this is how I feel about this. I don't feel like this is quite right. And normally if it doesn't feel quite right, it's probably not right. The worst thing to do, especially when you're getting started, is to think, actually, I'm not going to even go into this because someone might rip me off. I suppose the way that you go into those free projects where you're not getting paid is with eyes wide open of what both parties are offering and what both parties are getting. And that's just about clear conversation in the beginning. So I mentioned at the beginning of this year that I'd been contacted by a brand who wanted to make some like onesies with me. And they weren't offering very much money, but it was something that I wanted to do because I thought it was a fun project. I sent them the designs and they had a very definite idea of the kind of designs that they wanted. So at that stage, I actually said no to the project and actually turned it down because they wanted to twist it too far from where I wanted to go. So the the balance of fairness was was no longer there. I didn't feel like, I, I thought I really like these designs. I think they're good. I think they'll sell and I think they represent me well. And they thought that that they wanted something that was a, maybe a little bit more gimmicky um, that perhaps would sell well. But for me, it didn't sit right in what I was trying to do when I was trying to build my portfolio. So that was one where it's like, no. Um, but yeah, but yeah. it's like, if that's a paid gig, then it's kind of a different situation because the client has more, if they come to you in the beginning and they say, this is what I want, then you can say, well, that's going to be this much money. And then, and then you have your price for if you want to make that work, like you have your price of what it's going to yeah. be. Like have a bit of a plan for your life and think about like where you want to progress things. Because I think as soon as you've got an idea of where you want to be, then you can start making decisions based on, is that going to get me to where I want to get quicker? I think when it comes to doing free stuff, thinking about it, probably like 90% of things that I do for free are things that I've instigated. And I think it's that balance that works so well because I'm like, okay, well, if someone says, can we do this free shoe? I'm going to then think, hmm, 
how much is that actually going to benefit me? Because I didn't reach out to them, which means that they I, they were probably on my radar already, but I wasn't I wasn't bothered enough to reach out to them to offer them something something for free. The only times that things do come in is if someone's basically asked, and I've just thought, oh yeah, well yeah, I might as well because I just fancy it. It's never like, and generally those things are never as beneficial as things that I've approached people to say like I will offer you this for free. I think, yeah, that's when that's all the good stuff happens when you go out to offer it to other people rather than them coming to you. Uh, so I think that's definitely like the way to approach it is be in control of your own time and your skill and your creativity. Because as soon as you relinquish that to someone else, then you might find yourself going down a path that isn't the direction you want to take. Interesting that you mentioned it's students that are saying this to you, because I think a lot of students are being taught don't work for free and the, the yeah. universities are, are kind of bashing it over their head that like you you have value and that you shouldn't devalue yourself and whilst that is absolutely true it's like it's understanding that like everything is so competitive and in order to get an edge if you can get those big names in your portfolio and you can do that by working for free then that's going to lead to the path of the future and i i saw a tiktok the other day where it's um it was like relationship advice and there's there's this boy saying girls always say that they want a nice guy but like none of them want to be with me and I'm really nice to them. So what's the point? And then there was kind of a, an analysis of that, which I found super interesting where this guy is breaking it down and he's like, you're only being a nice guy because you want something. That's not being a nice guy. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. when you go out into the world and you are actually helping people and that can come, like that's normally when you're going to be approaching them, like let me do this for you for free. If you can do that with like, zero expectation like you're not trying to get a date yeah. out of them um you are just trying to do a nice thing then the the stuff that comes from that because if it doesn't then you haven't lost anything you're not like yeah, oh for yeah. god's sake i did all of this free work for them and they haven't even done anything for for me it's like well you went into it with the wrong idea yeah you need to go into it thinking like this is the start of something that could be good like you're not going into it wanting something out of it you've not paid for this in exchange for this it's like it should all just be a fair everyone's helping each other out and i think if you can go into it being the nice person to an act to, to actually be a nice person that just makes such a difference because i think so much of life is about relationships and building relationships and good relationships and you definitely sense it where people come to you and you can tell that they don't want to be your friend they just want whatever you can give them or give mm. you can provide them and everyone's got friends like that and everyone knows someone like that and I think getting rid of people like that of your life is super important and making sure that the people you surround yourself with and the people you approach and want to work with in future are like that too. Because most of the people that I've approached and said, like, I'd love to offer you some free work have now just like really good friends. And there's a few people I've done it to and I'm like, you are okay. But like, I can sense that we would never be friends like in another situation. So yeah, that kind of relationship ends there and it kind of, it moves on. And I think that's fine and not all relationships are going to be perfect and you're not going to meet everyone who gets on with you. But I think it's about putting yourself out there to meet as many people as possible because it's only by meeting as many people as possible that are going to allow you to find the ones that are actually like you. Like I was talking to my friend recently, um, kind of explaining a similar situation to this actually where I'm like, you need to start networking with more people in your field, like getting to know them. And he was like, oh, well, I've kind of networked with a few like people, especially like influencers in my space. And they all seem quite like fake and superficial. And that had almost kind of like stopped him 
kind of then continuing to do it. But I'm like, but out there somewhere are more people like you. You're just going to need to put yourself in a situation where if most people in this field are like that, then you need to like, it's going to just take longer because you're going to have to go through more people to find the good people. But when you found the good people and you've got this like group of people around you who you really get on with, who kind of can really help you out in your business, you can help them out. And it's like a nice relationship where if people just want to help each other. It's not exploitative in any way. I think like that, that is the complete aim. When you look at those relationships, it's so obvious as well. You can just, when you look at well-known people that we know, and then you look at their circle of friends, you can, you, you're sort of like, yeah, of course you're friends with each other. And it's really funny when a lot of times we'll meet guests and we'll go, oh, we should hook you up with so-and-so because you two would be perfectly aligned. They'd be like, oh yeah, 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 no, I know that person really well. And they, they're already hooked up because of course they are. And I think yeah. that's, that's what you put out there. That's your, your work is your calling card and your work attracts the like-minded people. And if it hasn't yet, then it's like you ju- you've just got more work to do. You've just got to keep putting out there because eventually it's like this beacon and eventually it, it gathers people around it. And I, I just think when you first start, and I know I, I'm thinking specifically of a couple of people that I've spoken to on DMs on at Rebels Create on our Instagram account. And I'm thinking of specific conversations where I've had of people where they're frustrated that that, that, that their beacon hasn't yet attracted the people. And yeah. if you don't have experience of that, then you don't realise like they are coming. You've just got to keep making the work and maybe the work's not good enough yet or or maybe the work hasn't been seen by the right people yet or, or do you know what I mean? It's, it's just, it's, yeah, but it's 100%. in the work. It comes back to the work. It's all about the work. With the beacon as well, I think it depends what you do because if you do some form of art that everyone likes and it's kind of like, like it's quite commercial, I suppose, and most people are going to like it. It's going to be easier for you to find an audience than it is if you're creating something that's a bit more specific. Like if you're massively into Spider-Man, you think Spider-Man's the best thing ever, and all you ever do is paint Spider-Man related things, then that's going to be harder to reach, reach a mass audience than someone who just paints all superheroes, as an example, because it's like, then that's going to appeal to more people. And then it's like, well, actually, now if you're going to paint all cartoon characters then that's going to appeal to more people but then you kind of get so generic as it gets that far out there's this real balance between trying to appeal to everyone which means that more people can like you but those relationships you have are a lot weaker compared to going really niche with something and then it's going to take so much more work to get those relationships in but the relationships that come in are going to be so much stronger that seems to be the way to go it's like picking something that's really niche and then putting in a shitload of work to make those relationships actually happen because that's the way to do it if you go too generic you're never going to have a strong relationship and then yeah nothing can nothing will ever happen from that because everything will just be kind of like average and there will never be any like love there it'll always just be a like 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 yeah if you gave me the option of of i have to restart my career from scratch and i can either paint all superheroes or i can only paint spider-man I'm taking Spider-Man every day of the week. Like I definitely think that's the way to go. And then, and then like the tree analogy, you then, once you've done Spider-Man for like five years, then, then you start to branch out and people are like, oh, I loved his Spider-Man paintings, but have you seen his Batman paintings? And then you've got a whole, you've got a whole new, like, like lease of life to your career, but it's only when you become established for the niche thing that you can then branch out. Yeah. hundred percent. This is a podcast that you make every week. Um, and I think we've had a great year and I've really enjoyed the interviews that we've done. And I think the podcast has, has 
really found itself um, in this. It's it's second year as we come up to our third. Um, what have been some of your favorite interviews or takeaways from shows that we've done this year? The first thing that comes to mind is like the the mini isolation series I did where I interviewed different photographers it was like a really big thing for me this year because it was the first time I'd ever done it on my own. And I feel like that was so nerve wracking. I'm like before every single one feeling like really nervous, but then like having to do all the research and then coming out of each one and being like, oh, that went so well. Kind of like had to do that with my whole life because I've never been a particularly confident person. And I think forcing yourself into those situations where you're like, this is so fucking nerve wracking. Coming out of the other side just fills you with so much confidence. Like literally I approached some people who were like huge idols in the photography space. So I know I'm going to be speaking to people who are going to put so much pressure on me because I would love to be kind of like like them in terms of like the quality of work and stuff they put out and just the successes that they've had. And it's like knowing that there's no escaping this. Doing a podcast with someone is like, you can't have a break. It's like, they can't be dead air. You have to kind of keep stuff going. Obviously they're all edited and we can kind of snip stuff down if it has to be. But just trying to keep a conversation flowing is such a skill and i think everyone should find something that like i hate that like it's such a generic phrase of find something that scares you and do it but it's so important to just put yourself out of your comfort zone because that's how you grow as a person and i think like this show has massively helped me grow as a person and yeah i feel like doing that little series of just i think it's only like seven episodes was just the one like it made it made such a difference to my confidence in podcasting and like i know now that like if you ever dropped out that I could continue to do it and it would, I could like finish off the episode. And yeah, I think that was, that was definitely a big one. Yeah. Cause we, we've definitely had that this year with um, kind of zoom stuff where um, it's mostly been my connection that has fucked up and you've had to carry certain interviews. And, and when I listen to them back, there's certain interviews where it's like just 20 minutes of just you asking questions. And it sounds a bit weird because like, I, it only sounds <laughs> yeah, weird to me because yeah. I know our show like back to front, but I don't think any listeners would, would really sort of specifically pick up on it. But, and, and I suppose it is, I guess our show is not a traditional show. There's not many shows that have two hosts doing the interviews, but um, I think we have a, we have a good rhythm with each other. And we, we very much like, I know, I know you so well. I know when you're about to speak and I know when to cut you off and I know when to leave it. And uh, so I, I think that, I think that it does work, but yeah, it is, it is a good skill to, to be able to do it on your own for sure. And I think as well, like this year has just been so crazy because it's like, obviously the whole COVID thing happened. We had to start doing things from home. So that made things very different. And just like, like some of my favorite times were like back when we could actually be with real people, like in the studio and just like having a chat in the studio was just so great. And I feel like luckily not much is lost when we do it over Zoom, but there's definitely like that. And there's an, an episode that's coming out at the start of next year uh, with Seth, Seth Godin, which was just like, he's probably the author I find most inspiring. I've read quite a few of his books. He's made a huge impact to like my mindset, the way I think about things. To be able to talk to him, I think when we started the podcast, he would have been on my top three people who mm. I would love to have on the show. Uh, so to have a conversation with someone like that and then it actually is a good conversation as well, rather than just a kind of a question answer interview where you hear the same things that they've said before in other podcasts. It was like a genuinely great conversation. And yeah, I think that was definitely like a a bucket list, a podcast bucket list tick. Definitely. 
yeah, Seth Godin is uh, an absolute legend hero of of both of ours and, and certainly one that we had very, very high on, on the list. So yeah, looking forward to that episode coming out soon. Yeah, Seth was was definitely like always um, the, the top of our list. And it really, I mean, I think this podcast is such a case study for for like just doing a thing. Like anyone listening to this now, like literally thousands of you are listening right now and no one knew who we were. And I know a lot of you feel like currently no one knows who you are, but like we're just proof of like, you just got to make a thing. If you can do a couple of things right and if you can capture people's imagination and you can get them to talk about you and share you, because that's that's really what it is. I think the key yeah. to anything is making shareable content. If you can make a podcast or a a painting or, or a poem or something that someone says to their friends, here, you must listen to this, then like you're absolutely onto a winner. Um, and so we've we've done that with this show and we're talking to some of the most incredible people in the world now like Seth Godin like Jesus that's like fucking incredible so oh mental yeah yeah so so yeah so that's that's just use us as a case study like if us pair of boneheads can do it then you can definitely do it <laughs> um so on on that note then if if tomorrow all of our businesses were shut down and your instagrams were deleted and you had to start completely from scratch what would be your first moves, what would be the key things that you'd do? So have I still got a portfolio of work? No, I burnt it. Sorry. Well, I think the first thing I would do would be to build a portfolio. I think that's how everything should start. It's like you need to go into the world with a thing. And so I'd think about how am I going to make this thing? And um, so if I'm going to use photography as an example, I would decide, okay, well, what kind of thing do I want to be shooting? And then I'd start approaching people who could, do that and I think just to build a portfolio so I think so for example um I shoot quite a lot of like dancers so what I'd do is I'd probably be like okay well I know there's an there's a market for that can can I use Instagram or am I just starting from zero hmm shall I let you use Instagram I'm going to say you're not allowed to use Instagram okay because because uh, so much of the the advice we give on this podcast is instagram centric just because we've had so much success with the platform but then i suppose all of our work for graffiti life and all over our uh, out of home marketing agency has all been done through contacts we've met and mostly through linkedin so for that instagram hasn't been a feature so i suppose uh, but yeah i'm i'm not i'm not going to allow you instagram okay uh, so i think what i would do is i'd try and work out where these people are i think that's the key so if i if i'm going to go as dancers as, as the as the answer i'm going to think about okay well i've got my camera like who do i know that i think that's what i do i'd start with family and friends people i know already um about who i could take some pictures of who might be the most kind of dancer-esque people who've maybe danced before uh, even if i just started with headshots that could be an interesting thing to do because i don't need to do any full body i don't need to be able to dance so i think i'd go to my family and friends and ask my family and friends as well if they know anyone who might want some photos taking until I've got enough photos to prove that I can take a good photo of a person. And I think that's the place to start. I'd kind of have, so that'd be my base portfolio. And then I would think, okay, well, any, so then I would start to look at, okay, where are these people? So they would probably be at like dance studios or dance schools or other places where people like that go. So I would probably start contacting these places and offering all of these different places free shoots for their like members or students or whatever the relationship they have to the, the building uh, and then 
do some more stuff for free, kind of build up a thing with hopefully by this point professionals or people who are good at what they do. And then I think I would start to try and again, every person that came in, I would ask them if they knew someone else who might want what I do. And again, slowly build up a portfolio until it's at the stage where, okay, this is exactly how I want it to look. If I don't have Instagram, then this would be on a website. So I'd have like all of my work on there that was easily searchable. I'd maybe, again, it depends on how much money I've got to do this as well. Um, but if I'm starting from scratch and I've got no money, then yeah. I probably wouldn't start with Google ads because I have, I can't put the ad spend behind them. What I might do is like try and find some free like vouchers and stuff that Google ads and all the ad platforms do and just try and get like a hundred pounds worth of free ads or something, run those to see if I can get any people in. Cause I think all it takes is that little bit of money to get you started. So you can start reinvesting back. And so, yeah, so what I'd probably do is once I'd kind of got my website looking how I wanted it to, I'd got my portfolio of people that I wanted to take pictures of. I'd probably either speak to these dance schools, dance places, and see if they can promote me in some way in exchange for either just something free I can do for them. Like maybe they need pictures of their studios. Maybe they need pictures of the staff. Like I would try and think of some way that I could use my craft to help them. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the chairs, like doing a bit of an exchange for an exchange. So like if they can promote me to all of their members on a mailing list or something, then I might get one more, two more jobs off that. And then hopefully at least a couple of these things that I do they might then tell their friends about and then it just starts to snowball and snowball from there and then I think what I'd probably try and do as well is think okay who's influential in this space who like I don't know who any like famous dancers are apart from like people like diversity and stuff like that and maybe people who are like big on the west end or somewhere like that I try and find influencers in those spaces and offer those people shoots as well because I know that they're obviously influential hence they're kind of influencers and hopefully by doing stuff for free for them again it, i can't currently afford to pay for ads but if i do something free for them and they can talk about it on their platforms it's effectively me paying i can either pay for instagram ads or facebook ads or whatever or i can get these people to promote it for me for free and also i'm building a relationship with those people at the same time so i think it would just be like this repetitively like just constantly off finding ways to do things for free until it got to the stage where I don't need to do them for free anymore when I can kind of have some form of ad platform driving traffic, getting the awareness to me. But then then I'm really picky about who I work with for free, who can kind of get me to the next level, who can kind of introduce me to this person. Like maybe there's a dance school in LA or something that I might be able to do something with. So maybe I can kind of reach out to someone over there. And it's all just kind of like just those little building blocks of kind of slowly growing on top of what you've got. If you haven't got money, how can I exchange what I do for, for what I want and can I think of something that they might want that I can do yeah and I think I would just just rinse and repeat and just keep doing until you start getting more paid ones in and it, then you've got a business you make it sound very easy um what <laughs> do you think that what do you think the main thing that people are struggling with that listen to this show I think the main thing is just the confidence to approach people I think that is a really big issue that I think a lot of people struggle with because they either don't think their work's good enough yet to approach someone which I think it genuinely is I think most people if they're looking to turn it into a professional career and people are already paying them for it in some form that then I think yeah I think that so to wind back a little bit I think that 
you know when your product is good enough to sell when someone offers to pay you for it when you haven't said that it's available they've just like if you're a photographer for example and someone said can you shoot my friend's wedding or my friend's birthday or something we can give you 50 quid like that means there's suddenly a value to what you do so i think you keep you keep improving your craft until you get to a stage where people are trying to give you money for it like i remember like being at school and there was like one of the teachers came to me and said our head teacher's leaving we want to give them a piece of artwork you're the best artist in the school can we pay you to do this for someone so it's like i think i got that confidence really young because being in like year 10 or 11 i'd already been commissioned by someone by an adult who i didn't know apart from like it was a teacher but to do a commission so i was like well this this means i'm good enough then for other people to be able to pay me to do it and i think it just takes that time and i think that only happens by getting better at your craft showing your work to as many people as possible this is why things like social media are great because the more people can see what you do the more people have the chance of asking to pay you for it so i think once you've got to that stage where people have said okay we're going to pay you for this then that should give you the confidence then to go forward and start approaching other people but i think quite often it doesn't and yeah it is going to be uncomfortable because people don't like rejection and i think getting out of your comfort zone and just saying to someone like can i do this for you like most times like most kind of emails will ever send out 90 percent of them at least will just get completely ignored and nothing will ever come for it but it all it takes is for that 10 percent to come back and say yes and then you've got a few more people who are interested in you you get a little bit more confident and then you start to realize that actually if someone doesn't like what you do it doesn't matter like you can still go out and do it people because you know that other people do like it it's like not every single person buys adidas trainers compared to nike trainers or whatever brand of trainers you buy it doesn't you don't have to like everything and there will be a market for you you just need to try and get them to find it and if you know who your market is which i think is the important thing is as soon as you've worked out who your market are then go to them because they're like the chance of them coming to you is very low compared to you going to them it's like that's all in their power of that like, you're just hoping that they come across you Whereas actually, if you want to be successful, you need to take it into your own hands and go out and connect with the people that you need to connect with. And this, you definitely see this a lot on social media where people just keep posting on their account and they're like, yeah, all the fans are going to come to me. People are going to start following me. But it's like, yes, that can happen. People can start following you because they might stumble across it. But you need to go out there and actually get your work in front of the right people because without being in front of the right people, you're never going to sell to people like if you want to be a professional creative money needs to come from somewhere so you're going to need to speak to the right people to allow that to happen yeah absolutely i mean everything comes down to other people and we've said it before but yeah. anything that you want to ha- to make happen you need other people to make it happen so it's about finding the right people and that doesn't necessarily mean having a hundred thousand followers on whatever platform it could just mean that you've got 10 regular clients that are are keeping you paid and keeping your a roof over your head so yeah and i think as well it doesn't mean the first people you meet as well because i think like yes you might meet someone who seems like they can do the thing you want to do but if you don't actually like them and get on with them then that's probably not the right person yes you might have to work with them in the meantime but you need to keep looking for the right people because there are people who you will get on with really really well who can also provide you with the thing you want to do because i think you don't want to be in a situation where you're just working for douchebags all the time because you're like oh i have to work for these douchebags because they're the ones who give me the money i think if you're if that's the case and you're just doing that then you need to keep looking to find the people who are 
the people like you out there who you want to have a relationship with who you want you want to be their client and like vice versa but it's a thinks that a relationship is going to form there but yeah i think it is about constantly searching constantly evolving until you find that group of people because it will take a good amount of time so we always say on this show that there is no hack to success there's no such thing as hacks um but on that note what are some hacks that you would recommend i think everything has a shortcut everything has a way that you can do it quicker than another way just because things are done the way that they are it doesn't mean that that's the right way or can be like is the most effective way and i think what i generally do when it comes to learning anything is to just copy just like don't you don't have to reinvent the wheel you don't have to create something brand new it's like just copy what other people have done just find little ways to do that and i think if you can look at what people are doing and break it down and work out what like how did they get to that stage like i could sit and do a course for 10 hours on photography and like learning how to do stuff or i could just look at the people's photography i really like and try and work out exactly how they took those photos and that would be like it's just looking into the details of okay well where where are the, where's the shadow on this photo and then that will tell me whereabouts they placed the light and then if it's like a close-up beauty portrait and I can see right into the eye, and I can actually zoom in and see the reflection in the eye and work out the exact kind of lighting setup that they used in that room to be able to take that photo. So if you can find a bunch of people that you want to be like, that you want your work to fit in the realm with those people, just analyze everything. I think that's the way like I got good at painting quick or the way I got good, good at photography quick is it's like you can just trial and error it and just like just get the experience and just hope it works and see if it works and doesn't but it's almost like anything you're going to do someone has probably done it before so why not just learn from them i think this is when it comes down to again to meeting people and that kind of thing it's like you can spend 10 years trying to master well, so the perfect example of that is i had when i met you i had spent 10 years trying to master how to use a spray can and i taught you everything that i had learned through trial and error through making my own mistakes and then about six weeks later you started teaching me things because you were watching youtube videos and you were like yeah. have you seen this technique this technique and that blew my mind because i'm like no i've just learned everything myself and you were like oh no why didn't you try this why didn't you try this on my and then all of a sudden i stopped because i had a 10-year grip on how to use this material just by throwing in a couple of techniques i was able to progress so quickly because i already i could already master the materials and it was just changing certain techniques and that was I, that was came from you because i'd just done what what was kind of right in front of my face rather than actually studying and looking at what other people were doing yeah and i think because as well like because i'm too especially stubborn if you're getting, <laughs> especially because if you're getting started and you've got no money then it's like you can't pay necessarily to go on a workshop or a course or these kind of things like if you do if you're fortunate enough that you've got the money to go on a workshop with a human who is an expert at what they do I think that is the number one way to do something. Like literally, like we've had apprentices come through our businesses and it's like they got really good really quick because they were with someone who was a master at what they do. And I think, yeah, if you're ever in a position and we've had people on the show before who've um, been sign writers, who've like gone and worked with an expert sign writer and learned quickly, whereas actually if you sat in your bedroom trying that for 10 years, it would take you 10 years instead of like learning all their mistakes and stuff quickly. If, if you don't have that monetary thing to be able to go and do that then and you can't afford to go and intern for someone for free like learning from someone is so like so beneficial 
Um, but just watch everything that they do. And I think this, like we're in an age where content is the most important thing. Every single creative is putting out so much content that you, you've got so much to study because it's like, if you're, if you want to get into oil painting, I could go onto YouTube now and I'm pretty sure I could become an oil painter relatively quickly by going onto YouTube, watching people who are just sick at oil painting, just watching exactly how they do it and then recreating that. And it's like, you can go and buy that oil painting for dummies book and start at the start, or you could just throw yourself in the deep end, learn really, really quickly. Cause like you'll make mistakes really quickly. And I think that's maybe why people don't do it because there's that kind of fear of failure. But as soon as you get over, actually, it doesn't matter. Failing is just progression to like getting to where you need to get to. Then it's like, yeah, you're immersing yourself in it. And anything like I can't really think of anything that won't have videos online and even like when it came to painting it's like there wasn't especially when we first started many videos of people painting realism online so there wasn't much to kind of many videos to go mm. from there'd be certain ones that I'd sit and watch over and over again but then I was like okay well what is the closest thing to this so I was like airbrushing and like airbrushing is a craft that's been going on for years and they can paint up to an insanely realistic level like more the more so than you can with spray paint because it's just a more detailed medium. They've obviously got so many different techniques to so start watching airbrushing videos and see what you can take from that. And then I think it's just like taking things that are really similar to what you're doing, but slightly different. And I think that's where unique things start to happen as well, where you start to innovate and come up with different things, like the way that we use card to like paint a piece and get extra little details in it. I've not seen anyone in the world do that, but that's based on watching people who use cards in, in different ways and watching airbrushes and then like then working out what actually works best for you and then innovating as you're going and I think that's where the hacks come from is when you've gone and like looked at different industries that are really similar to what you are taking a little bit from those that maybe your industry isn't doing yet tweaking it and kind of putting your own little spin on it somehow and then you've got something brand new you've got a hack you can do something better than anyone else in your industry can do because no one else has gone the extra mile to put all that effort in to do that and yeah I think that's where the hacks come from hacks come from hard work which <laughs> kind of seems like the opposite of a hack but it's like that's where the innovation comes from and I think good things happen when yeah you just analyze and then put that into practice amazing well thank you for letting me have a little dig around in your brain this um this turned out really well I'm really glad with how this episode went I think yeah this was fun this was fun. So um, to end, I'm going to say, could you tell me something about you that no one knows? So it's, it's hard because I feel like I don't know if there's anything that no one knows. But I think there's something that like something that most people, when I speak to people and when I meet people and I tell them this, it's generally what they're most shocked by. And that is just the fact that I was a massive introvert and hated meeting people. And I think because whenever we meet anyone now and like we talk about the podcast and like I'll meet like people like in a photography world and I'm very chatty and can, can hold a conversation quite well obviously like people listen to the show all the time and they've listened to me talk for like an hour now I'm now so much more confident than I used to be and I think just like thinking back to being like a kind of 14 year old kid and kind of like having to go on dates and just being like this is the worst thing in the world like I'm just so nervous and I'm like literally going on dates when I was like kind of like 14 15 like the first couple of times you'd like you start like kissing girls and stuff and literally like shivering like literally being like so scared that like my body was physically shaking Aww. and I remember like 
kind of being on dates and just being like, oh, I'm just really cold because like I was just shivering so violently. But obviously I was just so anxious that I was like physically scared. And I think that is just kind of comes down to what we were talking about earlier about how you just kind of have to throw yourself into these situations. And even now, like I still get scared about stuff, not sort of stage when I really like shiver, but anxiety is like something that you can learn to combat and you can kind of overcome it a bit with confidence. And that only comes by like literally forcing yourself through these horrible periods of time. It's like the first like portrait shoot I ever did. I remember DMing someone on Instagram to be like, like me building my portfolio as we kind of talked about this theoretical thing earlier. And, but I can use Instagram in this, so it's great because it's the real world. But yeah, DM someone and like kind of organize this shoot. And it was like, at the start of that, I was just so nervous, like just stood like I'm a bit being stood in Victoria train station, literally kind of like just anxious, like so like, almost shaking, like so nervous about like this thing that was going to happen because I wasn't a professional photographer. This model I assumed had worked with professional photographers before and like would think that's what I was because of the way that I kind of approached. And it is scary. I suppose it's, it comes down to imposter syndrome, I suppose, of like you're in this situation where you feel like you definitely shouldn't be here. You've not got the experience to be here. But it's just like just throwing yourself into that horrible thing that makes you feel really uncomfortable. Because then actually like that shoot ended up going really well. She was like really nice. We're like now we were texting earlier. We're still got good friends. And then like the next one I did after that with a different person, I was really nervous, but just a little bit less. And I think yeah. over time, it's like everyone that you do just gets easier and easier. And I think the confidence that grows from there has just helped me so much because it's like now when I meet someone new, I'm just like, oh, cool. Like, there's no even, I'm not even phased by it. It's just like, cool, here's someone new and I'm excited for it. Like my favorite parts of, my favorite part of photography isn't the kind of clicking a button part of it or like the editing it's the interaction that you have with people. Mm. And if you'd have said that to me 10 years ago, that my favorite part of this creative endeavor that I do is the interaction that I have with people, I'd have been like, that's bullshit. Like, that's definitely not true. But like doing that and having the show where we have to talk to people all the time, there's like the pressure to, you're literally forced to have a conversation with someone for an hour in theory. That's kind of what a podcast is. Yeah. It's just like, it's all just growing you as a person. I think if you're listening to this and you feel like you're nervous or anxious or don't want to meet people, because a lot of this episode has been around how important it is to meet people and to build those connections and interact with other people. You might be thinking this sounds like the worst thing in the world to do. And it's going to feel like the worst thing in the world when you first get started. But trust me, it gets easier. It gets better until the stage where it becomes fun which just seems mental that the thing that scared you the most is the thing that brings you the most joy. There we go. I want to thank you for uh, doing this podcast with me and, uh, and I love you and have a happy Christmas. And uh, yeah, thanks. I, I, this podcast is a really important part of my life and uh, you are a part of that. So thank you. Oh, love um, you. Merry Christmas. Anyone listening? Right yeah. Now. Merry Christmas. Yeah. We, <laughs> we love you guys too. Cause, um, without you listening, then there'd be no point us, uh, rambling on every week. So, um, could you tell the listeners where they could find you online? Yeah. So they can find me obviously at the podcast at rebels crate, and then you can search for me at Adam Brazier or at Adam Brazier portraits on Instagram. Boom. See ya. <laughs>